So last week I took my kids out for some back to school shopping and guess what? I treated myself too. Yes, although I'm not the one who's going back to school, I did some back to scrubs shopping because I deserve it and you deserve it too as a healthcare worker. So what I have on right now are the most comfortable scrubs ever. I have on my women's graphite Katarina, one pocket scrub top and my women's graphite Yola high-waisted scrub pants. They're cute, they're comfy, they move with me and anti-fluid repellent, hello, in the ICU. Fluids are flying everywhere, especially as you're emptying those drains. Listen, get you some too. Figs are essential to your wardrobe. So throw away those boxy, itchy scrubs, the ones where you take them out and they have like a permanent crease. You look like a paper cutout wearing them. Make sure to visit wearfigs.com. That's W-E-A-R-F-I-G-S dot com. Go there, check them out, and listen. Save 15% off your next purchase by entering the shopping code Nurse Alice. Hey, get ready to love your scrubs. You're listening to Ask Nurse Alice, presented by Nurse.org, where Alice Benjamin combines no-nonsense advice with thought-provoking interviews. Hi, friends. Welcome to an episode of the Ask Nurse Alice podcast. I'm your host, Alice Benjamin, clinical nurse specialist and family nurse practitioner. And I'm so excited for today's show. It's going to be really, really good. We have one of my favorites, my favorite uh, NICU nurse. She's uh, not only a NICU nurse, but a blogger and a podcaster. Of the selfie show she's so amazing please welcome to the show nurse tori Hi, thank nurse. you so much we're excited to have you and by the way nurse.org is also excited that you're on the show with me too you guys if you don't um, haven't already visited nurse.org tons of great information on their website everything you need to know before becoming a nurse while a nurse and throughout your whole career so check them out and follow them on social but now it's all about tori so tori i've been following you on social media and you are my favorite NICU nurse and i'll say that because I'm so appreciative of people like you because NICU scares me to death. As much as experience I have, it's, it seems really scary to me. I think that's kind of like the way for, it's like either you love it or you're terrified of it. That's like the nurse world. Like that's how we react to it, I feel like. <laughs> it is because they're little, they're so little. Mm-hmm. So, and those are NICU, they're like less than 30 days, right? That's the neonatal period by definition. So technically, yeah, neonatal is less than 30 days. However, a lot of patients are with us. It depends on where you're located, whether it's a level Mm -hmm. one up to level four NICU. Level four NICUs can have patients up to a year. Oh, wow. Okay. Mm -hmm. So so even more, you need to know your all the developmental stages and all the stuff about little ones. Now, I'm in critical care, ICU, ER, adults, obviously. And (laughs) I do get little people that come to the ER and we're always like ready to to punt them to the peds floor. Yeah. Or like even a, a pregnant mom or like, I don't know what to do with Yeah, you're like L and D, go. Yeah. Go, 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 go. So can you tell us a little bit about how you became a, a NICU nurse and like why you chose that specialty? Yeah. So uh, I like to talk about this a lot. My journey to becoming a nurse was not easy. I think there's like this misconception that becoming a nurse is just gets into it and it's so easy. So I went to the University of Arizona. It took me three and a half rounds of applying. I got in on a waitlisted position and then I got through nursing school and I had a lot of struggles after that that I talk about also on the podcast. And then about eight months, finally, after I graduated and took the NCLEX, I landed my job at a children's hospital. The reason for the specialty, I knew I didn't want adults. Adults was not for me. I was like, tap out. I'm good. I got my experience. I saw the things. I'm like, I'm good. 
so that left like pediatric world, NICU, something in that realm. Mm -hmm. And so I actually originally thought I wanted to be a CBICU nurse. And I applied to NICU knowing those two populations I was the most interested in. And I applied to NICU out of strategy because they were hiring more new grads. And Mm. the irony now is like eight years into my career, I can't imagine not being a NICU nurse. I mean, I think your journey, journeys are also different. But yeah, it was, I knew that was kind of the population I was interested in, but I just don't think you, I mean, I didn't know, no one has exposure to NICU until you're actually a NICU nurse, right? Right. You don't have that experience. And I'm trying to think back in my clinical and nursing school, like we barely had pediatrics. That was such a very short right. amount of time. And even then, when we would go out to clinical sites, they really didn't let us do much with right. the little people. So it was more of an observation. So I think yeah. that part is, I felt like I wasn't prepared. I didn't know how to be a NICU or a PICU nurse. And listen, the vital signs are also like, you got to know them based on the ages. And I'm like, yeah, I can barely remember adult vital signs, <laughs> let alone all these others things for babies so that's interesting so it was either CVICU or NICU and then you yeah. went with NICU I so, went with NICU and I loved it you know I mean I I knew because CVICU also does have a bit of they have primary a lot of of NICU neonatal aged children that's actually a big mm-hmm. piece of their population as well but yeah okay so if I were in nursing school today and thought that, you know what, I want to be a NICU nurse. Are there any things, any suggestions that you would have for people who are actually still in nursing school to prepare them for that? Right. So as far, because a big question that I do get is like, how do you become a NICU nurse? So the basic thing is, you know, go through nursing school, you land your license, you take your NCLEX. Technically, you are qualified to become a NICU nurse if you have your license in hand. So the tough part is, is that it's a very niche part of the world. It's also a very competitive part of the world. Mm. So everyone wants to land that NICU job. So some tips that I have is, you know, if you are in nursing school, look far and wide, start looking far and wide for new grad programs. A lot of the NICUs that are hiring are, you know, the university hospitals, the teaching hospitals, typically they're level three or level four NICUs. Those are the highest acuity of NICU that hire on new grads. They are coveted positions. They're few and far in between, but I moved for my job. So my first job, like I had to move and for me, that was worth it. I absolutely loved my experience. I landed a job in a, it was a 22 week residency program. Mm-hmm. You can look up either residency programs. There's also Versant programs. They're basically one in the same, but anyone that will hire a new grad, I would say another thing as far as, you know, when you're looking at the resume, essentially, you know, the hiring managers know you don't have experience in NICU, right? Like that's just going to be point blank, but there are things that you can kind of tailor it to on your resume when you're applying so you, that, you know, you can go ahead and get your NRP. NRP is our neonatal resuscitation program. That's a certification you can add as a booster. Now, it's tough. I say that, but it's tough because you don't have experience as a NICU nurse yet. So it's hard to really grasp and understand what NRP is and how to actually implement it. But if you have it on that resume, sometimes that'll help. There's a lot of different... 
Say would, again. You, would, you, would you recommend someone do their pals yeah, also? You know, I would. Not every NICU requires it. The pals comes in when if you would be uh, floating to another unit. So PICU, CVICU, pediatric, med surge, oncology. So if you're applying to a children's hospital, oftentimes pals is great to have or even a university hospital because you could be floating to those units. So they like to have that. You're going to have to have that certification anyways. Not every NICU is like that. Right. And so for, so for those who are listening, are like, what's PALS? It's the Pediatric yeah. Advanced Life Support. Sorry. For nurses, nurses do that kind of thing. You just throw out the little acronyms, <laughs> acronyms. out there. Yeah. And yeah. Okay. So yeah. your PALS, your NRP. NRP. Um, you know, and another thing, it's it was tough during COVID, but it's starting to open up. I think it's just great, honestly, to have your foot in the door in any hospital. So I always tell a lot of nursing students, I'm like, even if you're a secretary, if you're a volunteer, if you hearing screening is a great job that people don't realize that you can do, you can become a hearing screener and hearing screeners go specifically into postpartum as well as NICU for screening tests before babies go home. That's a great job you can do as well. But anything sort of in the hospital setting that gets you some exposure into the hospital. And then here's where my brain goes with that. I'm a big fan of networking, right? So let's say you become a secretary on a med surge floor. Well, you say, okay, well, do they have a NICU here? Well, how do I get, you know, go, you know, take a peek at the unit? Or how do I get myself in front of the manager to ask if I can come shadow for a day? You know, there's a lot of different ways you can do it. I think getting really, you know, kind of savvy, you know, start learning how to network, talk to people, ask questions. Like that's the biggest thing I can say is just ask questions. You never know who you're, you know, what your answer is going to be or who you're asking that question to. And the answer, I I can't tell you the amount of times I've asked someone something just being like, oh, I'm making a conversation. And then it turns into this whole thing. And then, you know, my life projection changes. Like, it's just, that's how crazy it is. And I think that's a huge thing we don't tap into quite enough. But as far as someone who's in nursing school, those are some great tips to kind of help you get started or, you know, kind of get your brain going in that direction. Well, actually, those are some really great tips. And I liked how you uh, mentioned getting your foot in the door. And so while you moved for your job, you know, at your local hospitals, I think, like you said, getting your foot in the door, meeting people, because someone knows someone who knows someone. And, you know, I think when you have those connections, when you've met people, your good a reputation can go very far. So right. even if they just know you just a little bit, but, you know, they'll say, oh, Alice, she's here every Saturday. She's delivering something. You know, she's coming with the, what do you call it? The, the, compa- the dog companions, like walking. Oh, yeah, around, totally. Anything. Yes, yes. Yes. I love those. We get those at the children's hospital that I work at. I love it. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. Yes. Oh, I love them, too. I have some pictures with several and I'm and I'm working at the hospital, but I like to take pictures with the with the pa- the companions that come around. Well, OK. And ready. I actually think that's a really important part that you brought up, too, is just, you know, when you come in, I do think there's a whole thing. Nursing world is very, very, very small. And your reputation can go very far with, you know, having a positive attitude and things like that. It can also go the other way. Like I just had it where um, I had a girlfriend who was hired up at I think it was Oregon and a manager had asked me who knew me was like, Hey, do you know this person? And I just happened to work with her. And they were like, Oh, like, what do you think? You know? So you just never know, like there's eyes and ears everywhere. 
Um, I can't tell you the amount of times like people have burned bridges and that affects their career down the line. Someone that you're working with now could become your manager in five years. You just never know. So just always, I just, I'm a big advocate for just always take the high road, be as positive as you can. We're not, we don't know how great days, like we have our off days. I get it. But yeah, reputations are a big thing, I would say. Yes. And having a positive mindset because no one wants to work with someone who's always complaining, finding an issue, a problem, and never wanting to be the solution. So be that person in whatever role you're doing. I don't care if you're doing the housekeeping, you're just delivering trays, um, you're walking yep. the, the companion dogs around, yeah. have mm-hmm. a good attitude, say hello, and smile. I know we have masks on, but still, I think you can smile with your eyes. Yeah, we have smile oh, eyes. There you go, smile eyes, yes. Okay, so now you move for your job. That's dedication because I feel like I've met some people who they're looking for work, but if it's that dream job doesn't fall within a cer- certain circumference, they're like, no, I don't want to mm-hmm. do it. But I mean, how far did you move for your for your job? So I went to University of Arizona. I was living out in Tucson, Arizona then. I had moved back to basically Ventura County, which is in LA. It's like North LA. And then I moved down to Orange County for my first job. So which was an hour and a half drive. I probably, honestly, I would have moved permanently to Arizona. I actually... This is kind of a fun backstory for everyone. I actually had a job in uh, at in Tucson, Arizona, actually in the PICU. I had been hired. I got the whole thing. I was hired with the contingency that I had two weeks to take my NCLEX. And I was not ready. And I failed the NCLEX for the first time. So it's funny because... Here I thought like this job, I, you know, had a job. I had worked so hard to land that job. And I, of course I wanted NICU or CVICU, but the PICU, I just happened to, you know, the manager, I like loved her. And, but I had to get the NCLEX done. And here I thought that this was like where my life was supposed to be. I was supposed to be living in Tucson and da, 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 da. It didn't work out. So I moved home and the whole projection of my life changed. So it's just interesting when you think, you know, that's another kind of message that I like to talk about is just sometimes you think things are supposed to go a certain way and then, you know, things happen in your life. You just never know why things are meant to be if you're trying, you know, so go for it, go with the journey. The journey is crazy go with it. You have to be ready to pivot at any given moment. I think in nursing school, they said, be like a willow tree that, you know, just kind of go where the wind blows you Um, within reason, of course, but you guys have to be flexible because I mean, I don't think anything's really predictable in nursing. I mean, you can come in and think your patients and patient care is going to go one way. And then it's like, whoosh, something totally different. You know, the other thing too, for NICU specifically is oftentimes, you know, these, the NICUs where you have the highest acuity, you have the sickest patients, you have the most going on, which is where a lot of NICU nurses want to start are in, you know, bigger cities. Um, So if you live in a rural area, that may not be an option. And so you may need to move to have that experience. I mean, nothing's ever permanent. You can always go get your experience and then move closer to home when, you know, when it's time comes. There's just a lot of ways to skin a cat when it comes to becoming a nurse. Absolutely. And I think it also is determined by how bad you really want this. So when I thought out my nursing career, you guys know that uh, cardiac and critical care is my passion. But I literally would go where their experiences were. Whenever I could float to certain units to see new things and see new devices, see new patients, like I went. And like whenever I saw classes, like online, in person, conferences, I was going to those things all because I wanted to get the information and get the exposure. Yeah. And then also be surrounded by people who had a similar interest 
in that specialty because you make friends. At, right. I mean, you're at work so much of the time. You got to have friends. Where Conferences low-key are so much fun. I've been to two. Yeah. One of them was in Nashville, and it was a blast. So I went with one of my best friends, and you get to network. You get to meet people. Mm-hmm. You get to kind of get out of the hospital setting. Like, I think yeah. conferences are, like, way underrated. <laughs> Absolutely. I love yeah. I loved the networking. I mean, we yeah. did some sightseeing outside of the conference, but it's just the networking. You get to hear so many things and see things that are different from your hospital because for myself, for a long time, I thought, oh, well, my hospital does it this way. It must be like this at other hospitals. Then when I would go work somewhere else, I'm like, wow, it's nothing like that. So it really opens your eyes to how things are uh, done in other places. Now I'm going to switch the gears a little bit because so when you're at work and you're actually in there with babies, what's the, is there a rate, what's the patient ratio for a NICU nurse? Yeah. And, you so, know, what's your day like at work? So here in California, I will say this is California because California ratios should be the standard. I feel like nationwide, that's a whole big thing. Typically in the NICU, it's one to one, two to one, three to one. So it just depends on the ratio one-to-one being your baby's, you know, pre-op or post-op. It's a micro preemie, a fresh micro preemie who's, you know, on life support. We're on a ventilator. We have, you know, lines going on. We have UVCs. We have UACs, which are umbilical lines. You know, you have sometimes two patients where you have a CPAP baby and then you have a high flow, or maybe sometimes you'll have a vent and a CPAP, which does happen. Typically, if you have three babies, it's feeder growers, you know, your gavage feeding or your PO feeding, they're finishing antibiotics, they're on a little respiratory support. So it just depends. A lot of other states I know will take up to six patients, I have heard, which I don't, it's, that's crazy and it boggles my mind. I do think a big difference that I will say is here in California, at least with the hospitals, the NICUs I've worked in. We do not have CNAs and we don't have techs. I've never worked with one. I think in other states, some CNAs, they do utilize CNAs and techs. So they can do certain things for the babies. They can do diaper changes. I think they can probably do some feedings if the baby's not too complicated. But yeah, so it is interesting to see state to state. It's a little bit different, but that's pretty much our ratios as far as, you know, how many patients we're taking care of. Okay. Now you mentioned umbilical lines because I always wondered, I'm like, how do you insert an IV on a baby? So I think that's one of the things that scares me. Some of them are very premature. Like there's my hand is like bigger than some of these babies. Yeah, yes. And pictures yes. and videos. So like, I mean, how do you, how do you put a line in? A yeah. Baby like yeah. That? So essentially what happens, and it depends on, you know, when typically the umbilical lines are put in usually within the first 24 hours, sometimes 48, just depending on. So essentially what happens is, you know, they, you clamp the umbilical, you know, the umbilical off, right? And for whatever reason, baby's having issues, whether it's, you know, respiratory distress, maybe baby needs to go to surgery. Maybe there's, you know, there's things that we're finding out that the baby needs. There's a whole variety of reasons why, right? So, and you need, you need quick access, you need IV access, and you need, potentially central line access, right? So UACs are arterial and then UVCs are venous. Typically venous are the ones that we are putting in for emergent uses. Typically a UVC that what we'll do in the, in the uh, delivery room is if the baby's needing resuscitation, they'll just open the kit and just slide that tiny little catheter right into the umbilical vein, which is crazy. I mean, it just, it just slides right in. 
you know, there's a whole difference between central and not central. But in emergency cases, we will use that as IV access because it's just so quick to get in. It is a little tough. Typically, that that is done by an advanced provider. So whether that is the doctor, the neonatologist, it could be the pediatrician who's on call, it could be the nurse practitioner who's uh, at the delivery. So it just depends, but it's an advanced provider that puts that in. So, Oh my goodness, that's so scary to me because babies are just so small and so frail. Like, And you just mentioned earlier about having them on ventilators and mm-hmm. on CPAP. I'm just I can't even imagine a CPAP so tiny to oh my go gosh. over someone's little face. CPAP in NICU is like the bane of our existence because I think if anyone ever creates a CPAP that actually stays on really well that babies can like tolerate, it's just so funny because it is, you know, it's either it goes under the nose or over the nose and we battle, that's a big issue in the NICUs, we battle uh, skin breakdown or any kind of issue around the nose because their nose, it's so tiny. And yes, we have equipment that's tiny too, but you know, their skin's so delicate and so thin and a lot of our babies are premature and skin development doesn't happen. The, the keratinizing and the development of your skin really doesn't happen until later on in pregnancy and third trimester. And oftentimes we're getting babies in second trimester that their skin is so thin and is so frail. And so yeah, skin is a big issue in the NICU. That's for sure. What's the youngest age that you've had of a patient? So funny you ask this. As of right now, NRP, which is our neonatal resuscitation program, just updated, not just updated, but updated it to technically resuscitate on 22 weeks. It used to be the cutoff was 23 weeks. There are some interesting arguments as to whether that is the right thing to do versus, you know, can we keep a baby alive? Of course, but that does come with long-term outcomes, whether it's lung disease, because the lungs are the last thing to develop in utero. So one of our biggest issues in the NICU is always respiratory. Respiratory is like our number one issue. They could have ROP or long-term eye. I don't even know how to say it exactly, but long-term eye issues because oxygen is typically a blood and it has to do with how it oxidizes the blood vessels, which could cause blindness. It can cause issues with sight, feeding issues. So a 22-weeker, in my experience, I don't think I've ever... 23 weeks was my cutoff. I've never resuscitated or seen a 22-weeker resuscitated or a 22 weeker who came out with without definitely long-term issues. There's a lot of talks with parents um, and sometimes things happen very quickly, but there's a lot of counseling done or should be counseling done prior to that decision on whether they're going to resuscitate or not. But the NRP guidelines do allow for 22 weeks. It's a hit or miss on whether providers feel that that's appropriate or not. Right. I can imagine that being a very difficult situation to be in. Babies here earlier than expected. And like like you said, they're, they're so tiny, they're so small, and there could be a lot of negative effects from that resuscitation, lack of oxygen to important organs Absolutely. and things like that. Yeah. Is the code blue, like on the uh, like in the adult world, we'll call code blue and then like a team assembles and arrives at the bedside. In NICU, like what does that look like ah, with the code blue? A great question. So ours technically in-house. Okay, so there's a couple different things. So there's 
when you're talking code, usually for C-sections, we get called the, the L&D nurse or a resource nurse is the one to go to all the high-risk deliveries. So for code C-section or code white or whatever it may be, we will have our team. So our NICU team, who's obviously trained in specialty NRP, attend those high-risk deliveries of, you know, if you have an unexpected, whatever it is, 23-weeker coming through, you have a baby who has a cardiac anomaly, you have, a, you know, something happened in pregnancy, you know that this baby is going to need resuscitation, or baby comes out and just is having some issues transition, that's the NICU team that goes to the delivery. So as far as in-house, when we have codes in-house, we have our own team. So you have the neonatologist. Typically, you'll have the charge nurse come and at least kind of assess what's going on. You'll have the bedside nurse. We have our respiratory therapists who in the NICU are our best friends. I always give this as a tip to new grads is get to know your RTs very well. Like some of my RTs are literally my best friends and I've learned so much from them. So, and then you'll have, you know, the senior nurses, whoever it may be. So you'll have an L&D nurse or a resource nurse if you're lucky on the unit and that's how they staff. But we do attend all of our own codes. I've never heard of an of another facility. I've never heard of a NICU that doesn't run their own code. So we don't, you don't usually hear the overhead for the NICU. Like we're running our own. We have our own emergency call light button at the bedside and who that calls is our team to come to the bedside. Got it. So you guys are very highly specialized in NICU and can do things that other nurses in the other areas of the hospital cannot do. So I'm just curious, do they ever float you guys? That's a great <laughs> you are hitting all the hot topics for us, Alice. So it depends saying, on I would be yeah. concerned. Like I'm adult. Like if you floated me to NICU, I'd be like, I, I don't even know. Uh, and I'm that here. goes reverse. So this goes reverse, right? Okay, so this is a big issue in the NICU world, floating. Um, I want to say this. I do. I see it as NICU nurses, we should be able to float. We should be able to help other units in, in crisis when they need help, right? But it should be appropriate. So typically when we're floating, for example, if you're working in a children's hospital, you do float to potentially PICU, CVICU, uh, PEDS med, med surge, oncology, but they usually try and give you the babies or the appropriate assignments, the, you know, the appropriate kind of assignments. Yes. Um, in other parts of, so other hospitals that I've worked, I would float to postpartum, um, potentially L and D for baby catching, uh, which honestly I feel a little more comfortable with. It just, it depends. It depends on the hospital. Um, with the postpartum, I'll, I would take up to six babies, which is, a whole, it's a mind boggling to me having six babies, but we do it. Um, and then baby catching, which is probably the most where I'm the most comfortable. So it just kind of depends on where you work. As far as pediatrics, it is, it's interesting that you bring this up too, because this is the whole thing of like, I've been a NICU nurse now for about eight years. I did a little dabble in critical, critical care, but you know, when you're going to an, another unit, it is so hard because you, I'm so used to seeing vital signs like heart rate 100 to 200. My stats, if they drop, if they drop to like the 70s, that's like a yawn for me. I'm like, whatever, like, eh, they'll come back up. You know, there's so many different things. Our vital signs, our medications are so different. Um, and so it is interesting because it kind of does become a question of safety for other patients because we are very unfamiliar. We get so used to our boutique little piece of the world. It is hard to kind of branch back out, um, especially when 
you know, you've been doing this for so long and that's the patient population you're, you are invested in. And now I get it. You know, other units need help during the crisis, uh, during COVID. I would say a lot of the NICU nurses that I know we would flow out to help adult units, but we were like the runners, to be honest, or grabbing supplies or trying to, you know, whatever the unit needed to just kind of keep going. Because to be honest, it's almost unsafe of us to be caring for patients. If it's out of your scope and you haven't been practicing like that, you could be giving a medication over, you know, and, and not realizing you're giving contradictory things or you you have to take the time to be able to understand what's going on. And oftentimes on those floors, you don't have time to do that. So it's interesting because NICU is such a, it is a little boutique piece of the world. Yes, we do float. No, we don't love it. But you know, you got to help out in certain ways, but yeah, it's, it's a big thing in the NICU world. <laughs> I did another episode on floating on the podcast and it is very, very important that, you know, if you are floated somewhere that you have the skill set or the credentials, the science yeah. competencies to do whatever skill you're asked to do. Now I know COVID is like a big pandemic and every, like it was just whatever, but yeah, still, survival, it was survival. Yeah. Was survival. Yeah. But you still yeah. got to be safe. And then I know you guys do a lot of weight-based medication stuff. Right? Oh, yeah. Everything's weight-based. Everything. That's the one thing in the emergency room when we have kids come in. I'm like, we. it's like we're ready to do rock, paper, scissors. Like, who's going to take this kid? Because we don't <laughs> want to do the math. We're like, oh, oh yeah. Like, How do you do that again? Yeah. And decimal points in the NICU, like everything is, you got to pay attention to what you're giving. Because, I mean, we, for example, like, uh, you know, our medications, it's point zero two mls of you know it's literally how much it is so it's it's crazy because you everything's weight-based yeah it is for us in the adult world that's like an amount that would get stuck in the syringe like in the needle would we wouldn't even be able to push it yeah. such a small amount. <laughs> or like my favorite one i did a tiktok on this was like like things only a NICU nurse would say and one of them was like give the three ml bolus of blood <laughs> it's like wow yeah. that's, that's crazy yeah, that's a bolus for I, I can oh, imagine yeah. so. Mm-hmm. See, can be depending oh on the size of the baby, that could be a bolus. Yeah. Oh my gosh, a three mm-hmm. ml bolus, guys! You hear that? Yeah. Like, I don't even want to hear anything <laughs> unless it's like three liters over yeah. here in the ER world. Uh, yeah. Wow. Yeah. So okay, so you're, it's a very highly specialized area. Now, do people who enter into NICU generally stay in that specialty for like lifelong? I mean, how hard is it to kind of come back and jump back into the adult side? Yeah, change your mind. That's such an interesting question because I think we are really in that generation that is burning out quickly. I would say I've been a nurse now for eight, almost nine years. I started back in 2012, 13 is when I started practice. And I think we're all going through this, right? It's like you get into bedside, you start working there, and then you hit this burnout. Like I think after a certain amount of years, after doing the same thing over and over, right? Of course, there's always going to be the lifers, but I do think there's a lot of nurses out there that are feeling that like, okay, do I want to go back to a school? Do I want to pursue a different, you know, area? You know, here's the thing. I think you can do anything you put your mind to. So the whole argument of, you know, you lose all your skills, I think is just, uh, it's crap. <laughs> like, I'm just going to say that. Like, look, if you want to go do something, you can do it. You put your mind to it and you figure out a way to make it happen. I left the NICU for about a year because I was burned out and I was just feeling, I was just, 
I was feeling it. And I had had, so this is kind of where I did some travel nursing. And through that, I did some experience in CVICU as well as PICU. And so I applied to this pediatric critical care float pool position. And I worked there for a year and I loved it. It was great. But after about a year, I also, I discovered that NICU really was my passion. So I went back. I was also in, at the time, pursuing my nurse practitioner degree and realized that it wasn't for me. So it's interesting because, you know, but if I hadn't done those things and I hadn't tried it and pushed myself out of my comfort zone, I wouldn't know. And, you know, I think, you know, yes, was it hard to reacclimate to big people? Of course. Like for me, it was, it's daunting to go from literally doing your turns like a boop, okay, we just did a little turn on the vent, you know, or just reposition. And, you know, looking at everything on such a micro level to going to big adults, big vitals, big, you know, totally different medications. It is, it's overwhelming, but you can do it. I mean, and I know a lot of nurses that are starting to do that. You can branch out a lot of strategy. I think I'm a really big believer in that. Like, okay, I want to go this route, I think, but how do I do that? So you just kind of take those baby steps and start doing those things. Yeah, I think you can, I think you can do it. Whatever you put your mind to. Everyone's journey is a little bit different. So it's interesting that you mentioned that about your NP journey, because I went back and did my postmasters FNP and I kind of was like, I should didn't need to do that. Like, but I was so close to finishing, I just finished it. But yeah, it didn't give me what it was supposed to have given Absolutely. me. I guess I feel like I, I feel like it was maybe I thought it was gonna feel like a superpower, but it wasn't. It was a bunch of fees and a bunch of other other things. But I, I talked yeah. about that in a prior episode. Yeah. But it's exciting to hear that you also traveled. So you can travel. Yeah as a NICU nurse. Mm -hmm. Oh, absolutely. So I actually brought on her name's Sarah Gaines. We love her. She does. She has her travel nurse program. So we talked about this and something that I thought was interesting is like, that's the number one question is when can you start traveling? And her answer, and I agree with it, is when you can take care of the sickest patient on the unit. And I agree with that. I think that's a great way to look at it or to be able to handle the most complex patient on the unit. Now in NICU, I think that might exclude ECMO because in order to travel, you don't necessarily like they're not going to give you the typically they're not going to give you the ECMO patient on the unit. But you should be able I, I started traveling about three and a half years into my career. I know NICU nurses who left after about a year and a half after two years. It really comes down to your comfort level. And as of right now, I will tell you the we're currently in what is it, August 21. The contracts are soaring and booming because we are getting all of the COVID babies that were being made. They're all happening right now. So there are contracts for NICU nurses everywhere right now. Everywhere is short. Every every hospital is short right now. Have you guys really have you seen COVID babies? In your in your PICU, are there babies being born with COVID or no? It's interesting. At the beginning of the pandemic, I would say we had almost nothing. You know, it was very minimal. What we were seeing was moms who would pop up positive. The only reason a baby would end up in the NICU, even if mom was positive, is if the baby was having symptoms or for some reason was having some, you know, needed to go for higher level of care to NICU. We have had babies pop up positive. That definitely is is happening. I would say the PICU, the pediatric ICU, is much more saturated than the NICU is. But we do see it far less than any other unit, I feel like, for the most part. As far as bedside care goes, we probably see it the least or one of the least. But we do see it. 
I mean, it's definitely, you know, it's unfortunate, but we do. Yeah, we do see it. Yeah, that's, that's scary. Because yeah, with COVID, uh, a lot of our younger people or children are getting COVID, they're getting really sick. I think the other day on the news, there was like a five, maybe five years old, and I saw them with a BiPAP on and I was thinking, yeah, that's a small BiPAP. And so I can't even imagine. And I've seen you on social with like your little blood pressure cup. Yeah. And all your, I'm like, they look like toys, honestly. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Yeah. You would play with and those are your I mean to think that's yeah. your equipment that you work with yeah you absolutely put a whole crash cart probably like in a little a little yeah. bag a little push, probably. <laughs> yeah we do bag. everything's mini I don't know our crash carts are the same size as your guys's but it's we should have little mini ones so that would be great <laughs> yeah I can't imagine it so like even yonkers like you have little baby yonkers like oh yeah we don't even use yonkers to be honest uh, yonkers oh. are like not we have other little flexi similar kind of products okay. that we use but like that would be way too tough going in I, oh, and it's God. funny the only reason I really know that is because I was working PICU and PICU uses yonkers like crazy NICU we don't use them quite as I don't think I've ever yeah usually they're softer flexi things I would totally have to just acclimate to equipment for a whole day because coming from adult uh, yeah. world to there, you know, when you're in the supply room and you're looking for something, like your stuff is so small, I probably like look over it like a million times. Look at it. I'm like, where? <laughs> oh, it's right there. It's like, oh, this little thing. Okay. Yeah, yeah, it. yeah, yeah. Oh, that's another thing that a lot of people don't know too. Most NICUs now supply our stethoscopes at the bedside because of infection control. Most do. Not every NICU, obviously, but yeah, a lot of them do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that that's actually a good idea. I, I did a news segment for HLN one time, and we were talking about how dirty stethoscopes are and when you take oh, them from yeah. room to room. And some places started doing that, keeping a dedicated mm-hmm. stethoscope in yeah. that room, which is which is the best practice. Oh, my yeah. gosh. You guys, I could talk to Tori all day. Ah, yes, all girl. The questions, but these are all the questions like you all the questions you wanted to ask a NICU nurse, but didn't have a NICU nurse to ask. So that's what what this was. So this has been amazing. Now, but before we go, I mean, you're an amazing NICU nurse, but you also have a podcast. So tell us a little bit about your podcast. Yeah. So throughout my journey, so it started originally. So I started travel nursing, kind of get a little backstory. And then I started doing some posts on NICU on Instagram and just kind of dabbling. And uh, I noticed uh, after a couple months of posting, I was overwhelmed and inundated by all these questions. So I started a blog and the blog became sort of more like NICU nurse lifestyle slash, you know, my one go-to for all things NICU, right? I was just, I was so overwhelmed with all these questions from people from not only in the U.S., but around the world about what's it like? How do you do this? You know, all the tips and tricks to land a job, all of these things, right? So I created this blog and built that out. And then I started realizing and maybe why I become, was trying to become a nurse practitioner was I actually really like the conversations that are also more global. I like hearing, you know, and part of something that I love in my personality and why I love travel was like, I love asking people questions like, where, where are they from? How did they get there? Okay, you're a doctor. How did you do this? How do you balance your family? You're a PA. How'd you get into specialty? You know, just asking people all these questions. And then I started realizing all these people had these amazing stories. And so I decided, uh, and I'm also a podcast junkie. And after listening to a couple podcasts, I was like, you know what? I I think I want to try this. And I want to create a space where it's not just nursing. I wanted to talk. I want to talk to everybody. I want to talk to head down in the hospital. I want to talk to outpatient, inpatient. I want to talk to everyone about all of the things. Hormones. I want to talk about sex therapy. I want to talk about all these things. So I created the selfie show. Uh, it was actually March of 2020. 
launched essentially right at the beginning of the pandemic. And I carried the show solo for about eight months. And then I realized I needed a little edge to the show. I wanted to bring on the, the salty to my sweet. So I have a co-host. Her name is Samantha. She is a flight nurse and a professor. She is one of my best friends. We've been working together for many, many years. And so now we have this podcast together. We, we have a we have a podcast baby. And the selfie show, it's been great. It's uh, probably my most favorite medium. It's my most favorite thing because I think it's the one place that you really get your undivided attention from your audience. And it's sort of for those who are listening, it's a way to turn off your screen. And, you know, you can listen to a podcast while you're doing laundry. You can go on your commute to work. You can do it. Like podcasting to me is just, it's the new way. I think that this medium is just, I have such a passion for it. I love it. I love hearing all the stories. We're getting you on the podcast, which I'm really excited about. But I just, I'm a big advocate for podcasting. I love it. I love the space. I love all the people. It's a great community of people. So yeah, that's the recap. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. yeah. So you guys make sure to listen to the Selfie Podcast. You got to check her out. It's an amazing show. And unfortunately, I get to be a guest on there soon. So I'm, I'm yes. excited about that. And you're right. Podcasts are kind of like the the new the new thing, the new way. Like you can literally like go bike riding and listen to your podcast yes. you can do laundry your podcast you can cook yeah. and do your podcast um and such great information too i don't know what were we doing before podcasts like i don't missing you out know all this great stuff well it's funny too because a lot of other things are popping up to try and you know you have clubhouse you have all these things like audio wise but clubhouse to me is a little tough because i think that i like the idea of being able to go to something intentionally with a conversation that has a direction and also something that I can save and listen to later. Um, you know, and I also love for me podcasting, there's certain personalities I love. There's definitely some of the biggest podcasts out there. Everyone knows call her daddy. You know, I love, I love all of the edgy fun, fun side of it. And I think that I like bring a little bit of that also to the medical world where we can kind of like pull the curtain back and have a little fun and, you know, talk off the clock and yeah, we need to. And I think also it's helpful for people, not only, you know, who are working in it, but future people who are coming in and also patients. Like I have, we have a lot of, it's interesting. Our demographic of listeners has been so much fun and growing with the community is just, yeah, we love it. So Oh my goodness. So we're all going to check out the selfie podcast and Tori, where can nurses find you, follow you on social media, online and all those yeah. things so they can keep up with you. Yeah. All the things. So I'm over on Instagram at nurse Tori. And then also our selfie, the selfie podcast is um, C E L L F I E underscore podcast. Uh, my website, the blog is tips from Tori.com. And uh, as far as podcasts, that's where every every you can grab it where you listen to your podcasts anywhere that podcasts are streamed. And yeah, those are my main I mean, I'm on TikTok too, as Nurse Tori, but that one I, I'm still I'm dabbling, right? Like I'm trying to keep up with the times. I would say I'm definitely Yeah, I mean, it's kind of it's NICU focused. So if you are just in seeing some NICU things, like it's just it's kind of a fun little glimpse into the NICU nurse life. So yeah. Okay, that's good. Yeah, it's always fun when you can learn 
things in a fun way. So, yes. you know, maybe they need to incorporate TikTok in, in, in schools, nursing school, more yeah. social media stuff in nursing school. They always tell you what you can't do. What you right. Do. Well, okay. And that's a great point. Do. That's a great point. And I think, I hope in our lifetime, we get to a point where hospitals are a lot more transparent and fun and allow these things because, okay, I get HIPAA, HIPAA, fine. That's fine. But I think it's really important for people to understand what we do and, and the, like what it's like, because, you know, and I think I, for me, you know, sharing my story with so many people, I think not only trying to make it relatable, you know, but also it's not all roses, right? Like there's times where like I have had so much burnout as a nurse. I've had, you know, a, to zip up body bags and, you know, hold a mom as she's crying her eyes out. You know, you have, it's not all roses. It's not all fun, but I still love what I do. And so it's interesting to kind of like tap into the dynamics of like what it's like to be a provider. And I think a lot of, there's a lot of great accounts out there. And I love seeing it. I love seeing it from doctors and nurses and RTs and, you know, physical therapists. I think that this is so important for us to be here in this space as well. And I love seeing you, you know, you're one of the, like you're spearheading this as well. I think this is where we should be. We should all having some sort of private presence, some sort of representation. Um, you know, if all of these moms, these, all of the, you know, the blogger moms can do it. Why can't we, you know, in our own little way? Exactly. So. Nurses. I mean, there's, there's only 4.4 million of us in the right? United States. We should be leading these conversations. Yes, absolutely. I think people would be probably, probably more inclined to talk to their nurse or talk to their doctor if they can see that it's not just like stiff white lab coats and, you know, you should do this and this test. Like we have to welcome people. And I think when we can show a little bit of personality and then like the kindness and the caring and the funny side of it, people will tap in more to, you know, our information. We can educate that way. I look at media as a for a like the same thing as educating, but instead of just educating that one patient and family, you can you do so like so by many. the millions of people. Exactly. Yes. Well, and that's kind of interesting too, you know, talking back to my, my nurse practitioner goals was that was a goal of mine was to, to be able to reach women in a new way and educate and provide resources and, or, you know, patient population wise, I was like women or babies, I don't know. But it's interesting because I think that I'm accomplishing that goal even like a hundred times that with being able to be like, okay, I want to get this specialist on and I want to ask all the questions that I know people want to know or the resources, like where do they go for good information? Tell me a little bit about how you did it. So if someone wants to become that person, how do they do it? You know, so that's, that's, I think I'm becoming a practitioner of podcasting, <laughs> but but there you go. And I think, I think that's a good point. And it's a nurse practitioner, although, you know, it's a licensure, it's a title, but you can still make an impact as a registered nurse, which is what you've been doing. Oh, yeah. And you guys, I've been so excited. This is Tori Meskin, aka Thank Nurse you. Tori. She's awesome. Check out her selfie podcast. Follow her on social media. And I'll be making a visit to the selfie podcast soon, too. Yes, so I want girl. To thank nurse.org for supporting uh, the Ask Nurse Alice podcast. If you haven't already, make sure to subscribe, share, rate, review, all of those great things that you do for Woo. podcasts because we want to keep bringing you good content. Mm -hmm. And you guys, until next time, uh, make good choices, be kind to one another, and live well, my friends. Thanks for listening to Ask Nurse Alice. Visit nurse.org for nursing career, education, and community resources.